So we have been uh, in this study. This is week six. We are concluding uh, this series today. Starting next week, we'll be starting a new series, and the next one we'll be doing is, uh, we, it's called Season in the Minors. We're going to be looking at some minor prophet books. So we're looking at the end of the, of the Old Testament. So uh, we'll be uh, doing that then for the next few weeks, and that series will take us up to Thanksgiving when we will start our Christmas series right after that. And so Christmas is right around the corner, which I know seems crazy, but, uh, but it is. And so, like I said, that's where we'll, we'll be headed uh, after today. But we've been spent the last several weeks looking at these churches that Jesus went to, that he observed, and, and through this vision that he gave John that's recorded in the book of Revelation, uh, there were these messages to, to seven different churches. And these churches, as we've looked at them, we've looked at each one of them you know, throughout uh, the last several weeks and, and saw what we can learn, what Jesus said was good about them, what was bad about them, and what they needed to do better, right, and what they needed to do next. But in the midst of that, we, we've realized, right, that that um, we need to listen to God, and not just in times of good, but also in times of chaos, right? and, and especially in times of chaos, when, when everything else seems to be going crazy around us, we can serve a God that is solid, right? and it is true. And, and the, our theme verse for this series has been Jeremiah 29, 11 through 13. And this, these words were given to Israel in a time when they were surrounded by chaos, that in their culture, in their world, they were in exile, and, and yet um, God gave them this promise, right? And this promise uh, was, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. There are plans for good and not for disaster to give you a future and a hope. And in those days when you pray, I will listen. And if you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. And as you see that, again, we, it's no surprise to any of us that our world seems to be in chaos right now. And yet, just like it was for Israel then, and just as it is now, is that our God still has a plan for us, and is a plan filled with hope, right? And a plan for us moving forward and into the future. And yet, in here, we see these action steps, right, that God gives Israel then, and even to us now, is first off, is that we pray, Right? And we seek the Lord and, and know that God hears us. Right? And, and, and we can tell God the truth. Right? If, if we're frustrated, we can tell God we're frustrated. Right? If we don't know what to believe, we can tell God that. Right? And if things are, are good right? and, and we find joy in life, we can also celebrate with God in that. And yet, and God says, not only do you pray, he says, but look for me wholeheartedly. Right, is seek me with everything you have, right? And, and then you will find me. And in the midst, again, of times where everything feels chaotic and we're not sure what to believe, we can stand firm on the foundation of who God is. Right? And we can seek him with everything we have and we will find him and we will find all that comes with God. And as we've looked at these churches through these, these last weeks, we started with the first church, the church in Ephesus. And we learned there how we need to keep God on the throne, that it's easy to get distracted from what really matters, and what really matters is Jesus Christ being first in everything we do, and that we have to be careful of our love not growing cold. We have to remember our first love, and then the next week, we looked at the church of Smyrna and how, how we learned there how we are rich despite any suffering, right, and that being rich has nothing to do with the balance of your bank account. 
we can be rich in God. And we are instructed to not be afraid and to pass whatever test comes to us. And then the next week, we looked at two churches together, the church of Pergamum and Theatira. Here we saw a shift from evil around the churches in the world to the evil that was present within the churches, within the ranks of their leadership. Jesus calls out deceptive and false teaching and a call to repentance for the churches. Next, we saw the church in Sardis. And with this church came another shift from not just the evil in the world to the evil within the, the church and its ranks, but then we shift here to, um, to our own hearts and to some very personal issues. We are told to take off the church mass, to examine the fruit of our lives, and to let God's truth set us free so we can truly grow in our faith. And then last week, we continue on this series of very personal things. We looked at the Church of Philadelphia, and we learned that this was the only church out of the seven that nothing bad was given to them. And we also learned that we need to walk through the door of salvation. That the door is open and no, no one can close it. That Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And that when we walk through the door of salvation, and, and yet we also learn that it is okay to be doing good in your life and in your faith. And now we move to this final church, the church of Laodicea. And this church, uh, the description of what is going good and bad and what they need to do in their church is found in Revelation chapter 3, verses 14 through 22. So if you have your Bible with you, I invite you to open with me to Revelation 3. If you're with us in person and don't have your own Bible, our Bible's provided for you in the seats you're welcome to use. If you're with us online, uh, hopefully you have your Bible close to you. If not, you can just listen as I read it. But as we do read the description of this last church, I would say is that, that this is the culmination of, of all seven churches. As we can already see that there's been a, a progressive nature to the churches as Jesus describes them, right? There's a specific order that we see in that, that we move from, from the evil in the world, right, to the evil in the, within the church ranks, to, to our own hearts, right, and what we need to move in. And, and this last one, um, they all culminate together into what is going on in the church of Laodicea. So Revelation 3, picking up at verse 14. It says, I write this letter to the angel of the church in Laodicea. And this is the message from the one who is the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's new creation. I know all the things you do, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were one or the other. But since you are like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich. I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. And you don't realize that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. So I advise you to buy gold from me, gold that has been purified by fire, and then you will be rich. Also buy white garments for me so you will not be shamed by your nakedness and an ointment for your eyes so you will be able to see. I correct and discipline everyone I love. So be diligent and turn from your indifference. Look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. Those who are victorious will sit with me on my throne just as I was victorious and sat with my father on his throne. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. So as we read this description again to the church, the Laodicea, 
Um, there, there, there's a, a few things, right, that, that we're going to point out and, and dig a little deeper. And, uh, and the reality is, is this one is it all culminates there. This is probably even the most famous church out of all of the seven, one that's quoted the most. And yet I will say that there are two pretty famous verses within this description of the church of Laodicea that are very commonly um, used out of context. And so we're, we're going to look at those again here in a little later. But um, as we do that, we, we realize, right, that once again, Jesus uses this illustration of a door. Hey, but it's a different door to the church of Laodicea than we saw last week with the church of Philadelphia. Last week was the church uh, or the door of salvation uh, for, that he described there. Today, he describes a completely different door. But as we think about our vision of, for our church, our join the journey of faith, right? Join the journey. This statement, as I told you last week, has a dual meaning. Last week, again, we saw the invitation of, to salvation, right? The side of that vision of join the faith, right? Come into God's family by, by believing that Jesus was God, that he lived a sinless life, died on the cross, rose again on the third day, and by him we are saved. As the scripture says, it is by believing in your heart and confessing with your mouth. And we, again, learned last week, right? We have to walk through the door. We have to receive the gift. It's not enough to just believe that Jesus was God, but we have to accept him as our Savior and confess our sin and receive his grace and mercy and invite him into our lives. And yet once we're saved, right, then we've walked through the door of salvation, and we see that was, again, what we looked at last week. That's one side of our vision statement of join the journey. The other side of that, the, the rest of it is directed towards those who already believe. Those that have already walked through the door of salvation. And like I said, last week was the door of salvation. This week, is, it's, Jesus is describing the door of discipleship. Right? The door that leads to a deeper relationship with him. Not just a saving knowledge, right? Not just Jesus being our Savior. But here Jesus is challenging us to make him our Lord. Again, this is a, a phrase we use to describe Jesus often in the church, right? We say, Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior. In fact, we use that phrase together so much, we would just say it kind of as one phrase. And we don't realize that those two titles for Jesus have very different implications, right? Jesus as our Savior, once again, is he is the only way, the truth, the life, right? He is the way to be saved. That's Jesus as our Savior. But we also need Jesus to be our Lord, right? And being our Lord is, is, is a daily process, right? A daily surrender to him of saying that he is my one true king. He's not just my savior, but he's also my rabbi, my teacher, right? the Lord, the king of my life, right? that, that I will be more like him every day, that as I join the journey of faith and continue in the journey of faith, right, that he will transform my heart and my life and my perspective and my thoughts and my actions and all of those things to be more like him. Right? We see that, that within our vision of joining the journey is our goal, right? Is that Jesus Christ is our destination and that we will be more like Christ tomorrow than I am today. Right? The salvation is where we join the journey and that starts us on that journey, but then I work every day to make him my Lord. 
And, and what, that's what he's calling out the church of Laodicea about, is, is he's saying, um, yes, you have found me as your savior, but, but you're falling short on the whole Lord part. So let's talk about that, right? And so Jesus does. He calls them out on it. And, and as we see, right, as we look at this church, first off, just what we've done through this whole series, we'll look at the good. Right? What's the good he calls out for Laodicea? Well, the reality is it's not there. As we saw last week, the bad wasn't there. Last week in, in Philadelphia was the only church that there was nothing bad called out, and yet this church, this final one, Church of Laodicea, is the only church out of the seven where nothing specifically good is given from Jesus for this church. Right? And yet, again, we ask the question, is that significant? Absolutely. Right? And as we think of that and, and realize that, right, last week we said Jesus left out the bad, this week he leaves out the good. And, and with that said, then we'll jump right in, just like Jesus did, into the bad, right? What was the bad that Jesus had against this church? And it was their lukewarm faith. It was their lukewarm faith. Now, as, as we understand this, this idea, this concept, right, that Jesus calls them out for being neither hot nor cold, you know, this is one of the verses, the concepts that I believe is taken out of context very commonly. Okay, one of the reasons why that is, is because it's easy for us to think about or to, to apply this as my, a hot or a cold faith, right? That, that, that again, we, you kind of use the phrase that I'm on fire for Jesus, right? Like my faith is, is, is hot, right? It's, it's intense, right? And we see that as a good thing. And yet the way that this verse and passage is, is applied out of context is that we naturally think that a cold faith is, is a bad one. And I don't believe that's what Jesus is telling them at all. In fact, to understand exactly what Jesus means by this, this cold and hot, lukewarm description, we have to think about even the actual city of Laodicea. Yet Jesus uses an illustration that the people in the church would know Right away, they, they would understand exactly what Jesus meant. It, it, because the reality is, the way, the place that Laodicea physically um, was in the, the, the map, in the, the, the landscape, right, of, of the world that it was in, right, is where Laodicea was, it had a very big problem. The problem of, of the city of Laodicea was they did not have a good water source. They, they, they didn't. They did not have access to good, clean water. And we know that that is a big problem, isn't it? So they, through the ingenuity of the time, they, they figured out how to get water into the city. Right? And, and the reality, the truth is, we can, you can find this uh, in, through archaeology and looking through history, that the, the city of Laodicea got their water from two close cities, neighboring cities, and they built an aqueduct system to move the water from these two cities into Laodicea. And the reality, actually, is that Laodicea was a thriving city. It, it had some really good things going for it, and we'll talk about that here a little bit. And as Jesus describes these, the gold, right, and the, the, the ointment for your eyes, we're, we're going to get there in a minute, right? Those were good things the city had going. The bad thing was it didn't have good water. 
And, and so they created this aqueduct system from the two neighboring cities. It was the city of Colossae and the city of Hierapolis. Now, Colossae is the same town that the book of Colossians right, was written to. Then we have the, this other city, Hierapolis. Now, Colossae had very cold water. Okay, it was good water and it was cold. It came out of the ground cold. Hierapolis had the opposite. It had a whole bunch of hot springs. Okay, now, we understand the concept of hot springs, right? We have hot springs all around us in our mountains, right? And, and we know that water comes out of those hot springs very hot. Right? And so these two cities, right, it was hot water and it was cold water. However, um, as they piped water into Laodicea from both of these cities, after the water went through the aqueduct to arrive in Laodicea, the cold water had warmed up, right? And the hot water had cooled off to where all of the water was coming out of either aqueduct from either city was just lukewarm. Right? And the water that was present in the city was lukewarm by the time it reached Laodicea. And so when we see this, right, we, we learn very quickly what Jesus was telling this, this church, right, that the cold water was, was, was really useful because it was very refreshing, right, just a drink of cool water, right, we, we've all experienced that, haven't we, when we're thirsty, when we're tired, right, the, the drink of cool water, cold water's good, it's useful, right, when you look at Hot water, right? The, the hot water from the other city was, was healing. It was soothing, right? We've all sat in a hot tub or a hot springs and just felt right, the, the warm penetrate our bodies and, and the, the healing nature of that, of that hot spring water. Again, very useful, right? Very beneficial. And so, again, God, Jesus was telling them, he's like, I'd rather you be cold or hot, Right? Because when you're lukewarm, it's not useful for either. When you're just in, in the middle, when you're right in the fence, it's not useful for either. It's not hot or cold. He's saying, I'd rather you be hot or cold than lukewarm. What Jesus is telling them, he's saying, when you look at your faith, you are lukewarm in your faith, which means, right, that, that you are in between, right? You're complacent. You have, you have your, your one foot in, in the world of faith and you have one foot in the world. Right, and because you are in the middle, you're not committing to, to one or the other, your faith is useless. You might be saved, but I'm not your Lord. And Jesus is saying, I wish you were one or the other. He was not saying he wished that they were not saved by being cold. And that's how we misuse this passage. That's how when we look at that, if you think I'm my, I have a cold faith that I'm not saved. And that is not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is telling them that he wished that they were useful members of the body of Christ. He wished that their faith meant something, right? That it actually affected their life and, and their, their actions and 
their, their relationships and, and the way that they interacted with the world. He says, I want your faith to be useful. Jesus, again, was describing them as in between saved but complacent. They had Jesus as their Savior, but they were camping in their faith. They get the Savior part, but, but the rest of their life, they said, it's okay, God, I got this. I can do it on my own. I don't need you. All I need is my ticket to heaven, and you can, you can keep the rest, God. And Jesus calls them out. And, and let me say, as we think about this, this lukewarm faith, this, this complacent faith, this even useless faith, as it affects their daily life, I will say that complacent and content are two very different things. Okay, complacent and content are two very different things. They, that, again, the opposite of complacency, which is what Jesus is calling them out, right, that what you need to stay out of complacency is motivation, right, to continue to move forward, to put in the effort, right, to, to grow and to change and be transformed by God's Spirit. Okay, and that's the opposite of complacency. I'll say the opposite of contentment is something very different. Okay, and in fact, contentment is something that God wants for us. You can look through Scripture, and God t- brings that contentment into our life. Right? Complacency is something that God warns us against, not just here to the church of Laodicea, but, but all throughout Scripture, he warns us to not become complacent. Right? C- complacent is a bad thing, something that will hold us back in our faith. Contentment is something that will move us forward. Because contentment is actually... Um, not about motivation at all. Content, in fact, if you are content, you will still be very motivated to move forward. Right? But, but your reason why you want to move forward is very different. The opposite of contentment is lust. The opposite of contentment is lust. And not specifically sexuality. When we hear that word, we think sexuality, right? It's not just sexuality. Lust is way bigger than that. Lust is a longing for something that you don't have for selfish gain. Lust is a longing for something you don't have for selfish gain. Does that apply to sexual situations? Absolutely. Right? But it's way bigger than that. If you are content, it won't take away your motivation to be better, right? To move forward. Contentment changes why you want to be better. Right, I don't want to be better to glorify myself. Right, I want to be better to glorify my Lord and my King. Right, that's what contentment brings. Right, complacency will take away all motivation to do anything different or to move forward at all. So what do we do next? What do we do if we find ourselves in a lukewarm place? Because it's easy to end up there. I don't think anybody chooses that, right? They, okay, I'm just, I'm going to be lukewarm today, right? Like, I'm not going to care about it. I don't think people choose that necessarily. I think they, 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 it's a series of small decisions that drift us into a lukewarm faith. 
And so if we find ourselves there, what do we do, right? What do we do next? And Jesus gives them two very specific things that this church needs to do. And I will say both of these things will move you from complacency and bring in some contentment in your life. Okay, the first thing he tells them to do is he tells them to buy from Christ. Right? He says, buy from me. Okay, we see here, again, Jesus makes another direct cultural reference to the fact that they were self-sufficient. That they were uh, reliant on themselves for everything they needed, and so there was no need for God. As I already said, Laodicea struggled with their water supply, but they were actually famous for three major industries. He said that the city was thriving in every other area. These three major industries that they were famous for was the first one was they were famous for banking. Again, they were literally rich right, in material wealth. It was a very rich city. They were also famous for their textile production, mainly black wool garments. And again, it's significant, right, that Jesus calls out a specific garment, right? It's a white one, right, the opposite of what they were famous for. And they were also famous for their medical technology and medical education. They produced a lot of medicines, right, their most famous one. Can you guess what it was? Eye ointment. What did Jesus say they needed? Right, they needed to buy gold from him. They needed to get a garment of white right, that they will be clothed from God in. And they, did, and they needed to buy from Christ balm for their eyes so they could actually see. Right? And Jesus, again, talks directly to what they were looking for in their life for provision. Right? They're saying, God, we don't need you because we have everything we need. Right? We're rich. We have lots of money. We have lots of clothes. We have lots of medicine. We're good, God. Just save us. That's all we need. Again, they had Jesus as their Savior, but not their Lord. Again, in verse 18, it's exactly what Jesus tells them. He says, buy this from me. Get this from me. He says, get gold refined by fire. Get white clothes and ointment to heal your spiritual blindness. Jesus calls them out as self-sufficient. And instead, he says, you need to rely on me as your provider, not the world. You know, when we look at this idea and this concept. And again, one of the things that comes up in church a lot is, is money, right? And giving. Again, something that God talks about a lot in scripture. And we can, that's for a different sermon. We'll go into that. But there, there are four biblical requirements for tithing, right? That are given in scripture. One of those speaks directly to this issue. Okay. One of the biblical requirements for a tithe is that it comes off your first fruits. Okay. It's, it's the first 10% that comes off. Okay, and the reason why that's required for a tithe is so that it's an act of faith. Okay, because if we give God what's left over at the end, right, then there's no faith involved in that. Right? But if it comes off the top, the first fruits, right, then it, it's an act of faith, saying, like, God, I am trusting you that you will provide everything I need right, with the other 
And, and that, that first fruits, right, is acknowledging that God is my provider, not the world. Right? And, and in fact, anytime the scripture talks about money, it's always about your heart. It's never about the money. Okay? And that's one of the things that God wants to keep your heart right, right? Of realizing that he is your provider, not the world. Right? And that even if on paper that 90% is going to come up short, God has the power to provide it. And he will, by the way. But again, that's, that's for a different sermon. Okay, but as we look at this, what Jesus is, is telling the church in Laodicea, he says, look to me as for your provision. And after he calls them out very specifically in verse 18 with these, with these three things, then Jesus reaffirms his love for them in verse 19. Right, what does he say in verse 19? He says, I correct and discipline everyone I love. Hey, and, and yet, right, I mean, he literally just got done, right, calling them out and correcting them and disciplining them on what was missing in their lives. And then this is, again, a very important statement, right, as Jesus is done calling them out, and then he says, I correct and discipline everyone I love. So he's telling them, I love you. Because he's just disciplined and corrected them. All right, when you think about this idea, this, this concept, right, that, that God disciplines those he loves, this is a concept that we see all throughout Scripture. In fact, the entire chapter in Hebrews chapter 12 is, is the most ex- familiar and extensive passage on this concept. And this is a hint from Jesus that he is acknowledging that they are saved. Right, that they are legitimate children because he is disciplining them, right, as he says this. And we see in Hebrews 12, verses 5 through 8, he says, and, and have you forgotten the encouraging words God spoke to you as his children? And he said, my child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline and don't give up when he corrects you, for the Lord disciplines those he loves, and he punishes each one he accepts as his child. And as you endure this divine discipline, remember that God is treating you as his own children. For whoever heard of a child who was never disciplined by his father? If God doesn't discipline you as he does all of his children, it means that you are illegitimate and are not really his children at all. That's a hard dose of truth, isn't it? Meaning if I am saved, if God is my savior, then I should expect God to to call me out sometimes and to push me to be better and, and to grow as a person and, and, and live out my faith in different ways. Because if I'm not challenged to do that, then Paul and even Jesus says, well, then you better go back to the Savior part. Make sure you're saved. Because that's how you become God's child. You, when you receive Christ as your Savior, you move from God's creation to God's child. Your identity changes. When God saves you. So the first thing, right, that we are supposed to do, right, that we are told to do if we find ourselves in a lukewarm faith is to buy from Christ. Make him your provider. And that, again, starts with him as your savior. Right? And then the process of him becoming your Lord. And the second thing that he tells them to do is he tells them to open the door of their heart and be discipled. Open the door of your heart and be discipled. Again, Jesus is inviting us 
into a deeper relationship with him, right? That relationship that starts with your salvation experience of Jesus becoming your savior, and then he invites us to go deeper in our faith. Right? This, this is, again, this verse is an invitation. Right? And think about that in, in your own mind and heart as we look at verse 20 again. As Jesus says, look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. Again, this verse is the second verse that has been used out of context a lot. Okay, because this verse has been used in, a, in, in a, an, an evangelistic context. Right, if we're sharing God with somebody who's not a believer, we say, hey, Jesus is knocking at the door of your heart. Like, let him in, be saved. Right? And, and again, Jesus is there. He wants to save you, right? And, and that, but this verse is not speaking to non-believers. This verse is speaking to those that are believers. Right? This, this door that Jesus is standing at and knocking at um, is not the door of salvation. This door in verse 20 is the door of discipleship. The door of deeper relationship. Again, and, and discipleship is about obedience. Right, notice what he says. He says, I'm at the door. I am knocking. And he says, and you need to hear my voice and open the door. Hear his voice. And when we hear his voice, will we do what he tells us to do? Right, what Jesus is calling them out for is not necessarily hearing the door. Right, he's saying, but you haven't opened it. You haven't followed through with what I've told you to do, what I'm inviting you to do. Again, this is a concept that Jesus taught many times of, to his disciples and through different parables. In John 10, verse 27, Jesus says, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. Right? Not only do you hear God's voice, but you do what he tells you to do. Right? And so when you think, again, this door, right, is that Jesus is at the door. Okay? And he's saying, if the door is closed, that means your heart is closed. Right? And he's inviting us into a deeper relationship. He's knocking. And when you hear that knock, when you hear the voice of God, you recognize it and do you do what he says. Because he says, if you open the door of your life, the door of your heart, right? And, and how do you keep that open? You keep it through diligent prayer, through daily Bible reading, through being committed to, to a, a community of faith, right? through spiritual conversations, right? through solitude, through fasting, through, through the spiritual disciplines, right, is what draws you to a deeper relationship with God. And that's exactly what Jesus invites us to, isn't it? Because right, what does he say? Right? He says, if you, if you open the door, and if you come in, he says, then we will share a meal together as friends. I don't know about you, but I want to sign up for that dinner party. Right? Think about just our own earthly relationships. How do you get to know somebody better? The best way is to have them over for dinner. 
Right? We, what do we do when we gather? We eat. Right? Because there's just something that comes with the human heart and condition, right? That when we open our mouths, we tend to open our hearts too. Right? And Jesus is inviting us right, to open the door of, of our hearts and, and that, to let him in and, and, and that we will share, right? Share a meal as friends. We, he's inviting us to a deeper relationship with him. And the concept that we all know is that you become like those you hang around with. And the more time you hang around with Jesus, the more you will become like him. The more you'll get to know him. And you then you will truly be more like Christ tomorrow than you are today. But as, as we... Think about this idea and this concept, and, and again, what we've done through this series, the call to this is that we pray as individuals, what does God need in my own heart, in my own life, in my own faith, right, and what is going to move me forward, but in that also was, what do we need as a church, right, and what's going to keep us moving forward and, and accomplishing our mission better and better, right? and, and as we seek that, one of the things that's come out of this series is this, this idea of not just joining the journey, but being in the journey. And as we've kind of toyed with that concept and you know, we've talked through it as a staff and kind of worked through that, maybe you've noticed, we kind of subtly did it, but when you look at journey classes, the logo over the top on the journey class slide, right, is different now. It looks like this. Wait, we're not there yet. Never mind. First, we have to look at Romans 12 too. As again, very verse we've used a lot. This is the verse of discipleship. Don't Copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you'll learn to know God's will for you, which is good, pleasing, and perfect. And then we do that will, right, which is being in the journey. So it looks like this. In the journey. Again, we kind of told you this concept about that the I needs to stay lowercase, right, because that really describes our ongoing journey of faith, right, that I become less and he becomes more. Less of I, more of him. Again, this is the concept we see in, in John chapter 3 when John the Baptist you know, says this, he must become more and more, and I must become less and less. And if you think about this idea, right, of not just for us as individuals, right, of that I become less and he becomes more, but, but yet this is a concept we want to continue to live out as a church to make sure that as a church we do not come complacent, <laughs> Right? And we stop sharing our faith with those around us that don't know him, that, that, that we stop helping each other grow right? through all these small groups and men's and women's ministries and, and, and serving and, and being companion relationships and those things that we continue to grow and move together as a church right? to reach more in our community that don't know him. And as you think about this concept, and not just, again, for us and for us as a church, we come to this concluding question, and I think, like I said, all of it kind of builds up to this last church, to the church of Laodicea, as we look at this question, is what is the next step you need to take in your faith journey? Hey, what's the next step that you need to take in your own life and your own faith? If one, have you joined the journey? If you've never accepted Jesus as your Savior, will you pray and receive Christ and join the journey of faith? If you have prayed and accepted him, if you are a believer, then will you open the door of your heart, right, and invite Jesus in and, and, 
and go into a deeper relationship? What's the next step in your journey? Maybe it's re- receiving Jesus as your Savior for the first time. Right? Maybe it's being baptized. Right? Maybe it's being baptized again because now you understand what it means. Right? Maybe it's getting in a small group. Maybe, you know, just, maybe it's tithing for the first time. Right? Maybe it's sharing your faith with somebody that you've been, been having conversations with and dancing around it for a long time. You're like, no, I need to just ask them the right question. Like maybe it's, it's encouraging that person to come back to church, right? Like I, I, what, what is it that's going to help your faith or help their faith? And, and what is it that's going to spur us together as a congregation to continue to move forward? Again, this door is going to hang out for a couple weeks. or We'll move it out somewhere else. And, and when you see the door, I, I hope that you'll be reminded, right, about the, the door of salvation and the door of discipleship. And to think, what, again, am I being called to do. Now, I, I want to end this series, and again, as we've, we've gone through this series together, I, I want to end this by doing together what we've been asking you to do through this series, right? To, to diligently pray and to seek the Lord. So before I give the final thought, I, I want to pause and I want to pray together as a church. So I just encourage you to pray with me as we do that. So we are going to kneel before our Lord, and we're going to pray. Lord God, we come to you. And Lord, we thank you for who you are. God, for being in our lives, for saving us, for telling us the truth. And God, we come before you now as individuals, God, asking you to continue to penetrate our hearts and our lives. God, that we would look to you for our provision. God, that we would look to you for our salvation. And God, that we would take it seriously, seriously enough that the world recognizes something's different about us. And God, I pray, God, that we would continue to move forward in our faith. God, that we would open the the door of our heart and we would invite you in every day. God, help us to never be complacent or camp in our faith, but to always move forward. And God, I pray for our church. God, I pray that you continue to lead us as individuals as we come together in the bigger body of Christ. God, and that we would fulfill our role, God, that you have us to play in your plan for Oregon Trail and for this community. And God, I pray that we will always be obedient to what you need us to do. God, thank you for the truth that you've brought. Lord, that we can seek you with everything we have. And God, we continue to find you. We thank you for that. We praise you for that today. I thank you for being with us in the victories and carrying us through the struggles. We love you. Thank you for loving us. Help us, God, to move forward. Always join the journey. We are in the journey. We're excited to see you do miracles in our lives and in our, in our world. We pray this in the name of Jesus, our Lord Savior. Amen. This is my final thought to you today as we close out this series. It comes from Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he's done. Then you will experience God's peace which exceeds anything you can understand. For his peace will guard your hearts and your minds 
as you live in Christ Jesus. God, we truly give thanks to you. God, thank you for being our Savior. God, for saving us. We couldn't save ourselves, but Lord, you stepped in and took our place, paid the penalty of our sin to save us. We thank you for that. And God, we thank you, God, for saving us right where we are, that we didn't need to change, but Lord, we also thank you for not leaving us there. God, for changing our identity from your creation to your child. And God, and we thank you for disciplining us as your child, for pushing us to grow and to change, to be transformed, to be more like you. God, we thank you. We thank you for your, your power in our lives. And God, as we go this week, I pray that we would truly live our faith. God, that we would show this world who you are or by, by us shining your light in this dark world. God, by watching your power be unleashed over the power of evil or for you overcoming sickness and disease and pain and sorrow and, and providing, Lord, what we need in our lives. God, we thank you and we give thanks. Guide us as we go this week. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.